Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media and your host for the Housing News Podcast. I'm really excited about this episode and our guest today deserves a, a really big drum roll. We have the CEO of the National Association of Realtors, Mr. Bob Goldberg on Housing News today. Bob talks about a big announcement that he and his team at the National Association of Realtors recently made and uh, gives us a little glimpse into that decision-making process. We have to listen to the episode for full details. Bob also talks about the current housing market, which we're navigating. We've seen some pretty tough changes in the last year, year and a half. And Bob talks about how that's impacting realtors and home buyers alike, and really goes into some survey data that he and his team have uncovered in their annual um, member profile survey. Some phenomenal information there. Bob also talks about some of the proposed changes and ideas that he has for the housing industry to make our industry even more resilient and sustainable and accessible for first time and repeat home buyers. I hope you enjoy this conversation today with Mr. Bob Goldberg, CEO of the National Association of Realtors. So, Bob, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Housing News. I'm thrilled to have you today. Wonderful. Thank you, Clayton. Always my honor and privilege to be a part of uh, the incredible work that you guys do. I appreciate that. And I have to give the audience a little bit of glimpse into to scheduling these podcasts. We actually started talking about this episode before some pretty big news came out of um, your organization, the National Association of Realtors in late June. Bob, congratulations on the announcement of your retirement. Well, I'm glad you uh, thank me. I don't think my wife is so happy about it. But uh, <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, it was uh, a monumental uh, decision after uh, you know, 28, 29 years here with NAR as a uh, senior executive, CEO for about seven years, uh, but in the industry about 40 years. And uh, uh, you know, uh, been able to see uh, and live through all kinds of uh, changes, both turbulent and uh, uh, but all that have opportunity that I've seen. You know, it's funny, Clayton, that when I started in this industry uh, many years ago, uh, I started with a major MLS vendor uh, who uh, who is now morphed into a different uh, named company. Uh, but I'll tell you an interesting thing, you know, back in those days, back in those days, it sounds like an old guy, uh, that uh, we'd say, you know, the next five years are going to be the most transformative in the industry. Um, and then that changed, uh, well, the next three years are going to be. And in the last couple of years, it's been, you know, the next couple of months are going to be the most transformative in this industry. I think that's just indicative of just the rapid transformation that's occurring in all industries and then technology. Uh, and we're certainly uh, one of the ones that have been impacted, but really led the way in that area. So um, something that uh, I'm uh, ultimately looking forward to, but uh, uh, feel that have, you know, that I've been part of something that has really transformed uh the way real estate is conducted in this country and worldwide. Yeah, the uh, the speed of change and the speed of innovation is certainly keeps accelerating, but it feels a little bit like that that old saying is the the days are long and the weeks are short, and uh, it, it feels like uh, change happens really quickly, um, but then it doesn't change that much if you look at it in the in the big picture, and then kind of before you know it, everything just accelerates and changes here. Well, you know, I started back. Yeah, I started back in the days when I was with the uh, large MLS vendor, a company called PRC Realty Systems, and they were the dominant player in MLS. And in those days, the MLS book was the big deal, you know, in the early 80s, uh, which to me doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But in the uh, early 80s, uh, when I was starting out in uh, my career in this industry, uh, we were publishing with PRC, I think it was about 7 million uh books a week. You know, we were a major publisher. So ink on paper was a big deal. And the computer access to MLS was ancillary. You know, we'd, we'd give that away just to be able to sell the MLS book. And uh, that quickly transformed over a couple of years where the book went away and everything was online access. 
And uh, I think at the end of the day, it has made everything far better for our members and certainly better for consumers. That, that background makes a lot of sense. Because I was reading about some of your, your history at the National Association, and I saw that you when you started – you were in charge of leading the Realtors Information Network, which, if I'm correct, kind of led into being what it, what is now Realtor.com and and Move Inc. So you kind of came in with that MLS background to bring it into the National Association. Yeah, I was on the founding team of Realtor.com. Uh, you know, back in uh, uh, 1995, when I was first being recruited to leave PRC to come to uh, the new NAR subsidiary, Realtors Information Network. Uh, it was about this idea of putting something on what was called then the information superhighway. You know, they wouldn't even call it the Internet. Uh, and the idea was, how do we take information that's typically found on MLS systems and make it available for consumers to have unfettered access? So when we launched Realtor.com uh, back in 1995, we were... Uh, one of the, you know, amongst the first to ever say, let's put that information out there for consumers. Uh, and the idea was actually very noble and it, as it still is, which is allow consumers to get access to information that used to only be behind that firewall of MLS. And so that consumers can make their own determination because, you know, I, I always equate data with like water. It always wants to find a way to get seep through a hole and become free. Uh, and, uh, and so consumers were going to get that data anyway. So let's put it out there for everyone to see. And it was a bit of heresy, to be honest with you, because some of the members would say, hold it. This was stuff that was proprietary to us only at MLS to work with consumers. And we felt uh, at the time, you know, the Realtor Organization, uh, uh, the Realtor Association and our leaders that had great foresight to say, put it out there so that consumers can get access to it. Because at the end of the day, they're still going to need a professional, someone with, with uh, the great background in real estate, understanding of communities, understanding of the housing market, to still be able to educate and consult them. Um, as consumers as to helping them in that real estate transaction process, which is still a pretty laborious process. And so at the time, uh, it was very controversial. But you know what? We weren't the only ones doing it. You know, Microsoft was looking at doing it. There were other players. Um, and so Realtor.com emerged in the uh, mid-1990s, uh, 95 to 96, as the preeminent player and then this little company called Zillow showed up with, you know, their name Zillow, and they were doing it. And there were many other portals that followed. And uh, at the end of the day, actually, that's a good thing that happened because consumers now have access to that information. Um, and it turns realtors into the uh, consultation experts that they really are um, and uh, adds to the professionalism as opposed to it being just about data. Yeah, it's changed the profession from being a, a gatekeeper, someone who the only way you can get access to, to home listings is talking to someone who happened to be on that lucky distribution list of the, the millions of copies of most recent listings in the MLS book to someone who's more, to use your word, consultative and guiding consumers through a process versus gatekeeping listings. And I have to imagine in 1995 and the years that followed, there were some realtors who couldn't make that shift from being gatekeepers to true consultative leaders. Was that a, was that a challenge for professionals who didn't get where the profession, how the profession needed to needed to evolve? Yeah, for some, but you know, I got to give really our members a lot of credit for those that, that, that were around then and still are today that uh, I think they made the leap and transition. If you think about it, you know, Clayton, if you look at a lot of different professions uh, that use computerization, the real estate industry has been, been using online MLS for years, you know. And unlike a lot of professions, so using a computer to access and using databases to say, I'm looking for A, B, and C, um, and having the database spit out information. Uh, even when I was in the uh, uh, infancy of my career in the mid-19, I guess in the uh, 80s when I started in this business, um, even though it was a dumb terminal uh, where... Uh, 
Uh, folks would use thermal paper to print out for consumers. Uh, but Realtors were always ahead of that curve in the technology side uh, back in those days. So that transition was not as difficult as one may think, other than, yes, we took the, uh, the lid off of it and let consumers have direct access to it. But the beauty of it is, is that consumers now, uh, you know, as they were in the mid-1990s, were able to get real-time information on the spot so that the data and information was real-time. So if a price change was happening, if there was other information about the com- uh, community uh, or neighborhood or anything else, um, realtors and consumers simultaneously had access to it. So that transition wasn't as difficult. I think the biggest challenge was uh, was getting people over the hump that, you know, like you said, you don't have to be a data geek. It's not hiding behind a wall so that when consumers came to a Realtor and, and to one of our members, um, they would be able to say, look, I found this information because it was happening already. The difference was in the past, consumers would drive by a property, they'd see the for sale sign, and then they'd go to the realtor to say, give me more information about it. Well, now that information is at their fingertips to help educate the consumers and actually empower consumers. Because in the end, the consumer is always going to win. And, and that's true with anything um, in you know, consumer products. It's true with anything uh, in today's society. So we played into it. We, I feel good that we facilitated that change to happen. But like I said, there were some members that weren't necessarily thrilled that that's the way the industry was going to evolve and change. But I'd rather have us do it to ourselves than have it happen to us. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. It just disrupt yourself first, be disrupted, even though it didn't seem like it was really disrupting the business model. It it worked. It was necessary. It elevated agents and brokers to their highest and best use. So Bob, if we fast forward, so now we're in 2023 or 28 years past this launch point of, of realtor.com. Do you think we're moving in the right direction today from an, an innovation and flow of information perspective? Oh, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, as I mentioned, you know, about the consumers being the winners on this thing, you know, the consumers are the ones that are buying and selling and transacting and investing. And so anything that we can do to help that experience become more positive and easier and uh, less laborious, then it's something that uh, is a success. So when I look at the years that uh, have transpired, uh, it has made uh, transactions far easier because it has educated consumers. Uh, you don't need to be a real estate expert to go look to decide what do I need to uh, look for in a community to buy or invest, um, both in residential and commercial properties. And so uh, I think it has made the entire process uh, better um, and it it is also forced, like I said, our members to be better at what they do every single day. Uh, they've got to, like I said, become not only consultants to consumers, but really more educated. The more information that consumers get at their fingertips, it then requires our members to even be a step ahead of that. So that was really one of the key reasons uh, that we uh, created a product called uh, RPR, Realtors Property Resource, which has hundreds of other uh, keys of information uh, to help uh, uh, educate our members even more so that when consumers ask all those questions about information that they could readily get, but it's not all aggregated together, uh, we provide these tools for our members as part of their dues so that they become a better consultant with information to consumers. So I think the whole process has been better. And I'm excited about, you know, the things that are still to come with the new technologies and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, sophistication. You know, I remember back in the days of MLS, we struggled with how do you get a picture of a house on the MLS system? You know, how do you digitize that photo? And now with, you know, 360 tours and uh, interactive and now with AI and uh, all the things that are available of technology, you know, I've seen some tools that we've looked at already where 
you know, you put on the mask, you put on the uh, the, the visors, and you get the feel uh, and the smell of walking through a home. Uh, now, I don't think anything ever replaces the physical walking in it, but if it makes the process more efficient um, and can make less time involved and more, you know, I think everybody wins. So it's a good thing for, for existing inventory. You can't replace walking into it, but I've seen that same technology used in, um, new high rise condos that aren't, that aren't complete yet and new construction and office where there's going to be a major renovation to a white space. Like that artificial reality can, can really change kind of the architectural and like and new construction side of the industry where someone's buying something that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And, you know, all of us have gone through where, uh, whether wh- whatever we may be buying in our lives, where someone will say to you, imagine this. Well, you don't know, imagine it. You can see it and feel it. And, uh, you know, I even, I, I love, I mean, look at companies like Home Depot and Lowe's. You can go to their sites and say, uh, what will my room look like with this color paint? You know, the paint companies do these things. Home improvement companies do these things. You know, I want to move my furniture around a certain way. Uh, those don't have to be as much visualized where you can now use technologies, like you said, to help you make decisions and things like that. And uh, like you said, new construction projects and homes that are being built or you want to be an investor in something. Uh, that technology, and uh, I still want to think it's still in it somewhat of its infancy. Oh, absolutely. It has to be in its infancy. It, it'll definitely get bigger. So, Bob, let's let's shift the conversation over uh, to the current housing market. So the last year has been challenging, to, to say the least. We've seen rapid increase in interest rates like, we, like we've never seen before. Um, we continue to struggle with, with inventory issues and affordability is a topic that keeps coming up again and again. Can you give us an update on how the housing market is, is currently performing? Well, it's, it's interestingly a very hot market because there's so little inventory, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, we continue to be at historic lows for inventory. Uh, I'll give you an idea. This is a startling number. Uh, and I use it sometimes and, you know, it, it does floor people. There's about uh, 1.5 plus million members today. Uh, last year, we hit an all-time peak, uh, almost 1.6 plus million people. So still almost historically high numbers of our members. And yet the number of active listings is slightly below a million active listings, like right now. If you went on, uh, what an inverted number, if you think about it, that there are more members trying to sell real estate than there are active listings to sell. Um, That tells you something right there. So thus, it's a very hot market because of the limited inventory. Now, when I say hot market, it's not a good hot market because having limited inventory is not a good thing for consumers. Uh, There's not a lot of choice. There's not a lot of uh, entry-level affordable pricing for people as well. So, you know, people that are coming out looking for their first home, very, very challenging uh, on all that. And uh, we have many members, I would venture to say probably well over, you know, several hundred thousand that have not experienced this kind of downturn, even though when I say hot, because with limited uh, supply, but high demand, uh, it's, it's it's tough for our members that are trying to sell, and it's especially tough for consumers. And like you said, with the uh, nearly three uh, percent increase in interest rates, um, you know that has thwarted a lot. And why would you, you know, if you've got a a mortgage today at one of those historic low rates, two and a half, three percent, three and a half percent? I mean numbers that are unheard of, uh, you know, the question is, why would you give that up to go buy something else and then have another mortgage that may be double the mortgage price? Um, uh, so that is a, that, that's the challenge. And you can't just magically do this and say, uh, please put your house up for sale because the market's so good. So I think we've got, you know, that challenging economy from a interest rate and inflation perspective that continues to thwart it. Uh, if you are someone that says, Hey, I am selling, 
you're going to get a lot of looks in most markets. Um, uh, but but that doesn't necessarily help you if you're trying to find your next home. So uh, so that domino effect is real. Uh, I anticipate it's going to get better. Our chief economist, Lawrence Yoon, uh, who was one of the foremost economists in the country, uh, we still project interest rates are going to uh, edge downward in the next year. Inventory will go up. That is actually a good thing. Uh, but it's probably, you know, a year plus out, uh, you know, from all the indicators that we've seen. So, um, you know, as much as I'd love to be encouraging to say it's going to pick up and skyrocket like it was before, uh, you know, real estate's interesting, Clayton, as I look at it. You know, the market can be extremely hot like it was a couple of years ago where multiple offers happen, inventory is plentiful. And then it can go to a market where there's no inventory uh, and high interest rates. And, uh, and, and you know, what you really want is what I would say a normal supply where you can go into uh, where days on market can, you know, even though they bumped up a bit, uh, but uh, not to that frenetic pace that was there a couple of years ago where homes would go up and they'd get, you know, five, ten offers the first couple of days. Uh, that's not necessarily a healthy market either, uh, because it, uh, you know, that over exuberance doesn't necessarily help everybody. And so, uh, it's, we're seeing now a relatively strong economy, but not strong housing in terms of, uh, a bountiful amount of supply. And, uh, you know, we work very closely. Uh, with our uh, partners in the in the real estate vertical, the Home Builders Association, the Mortgage Bankers, the American Bankers Association, and they are the four major vertical players in this. And uh, we've really been focused on how do you get more inventory? You know, how do builders build more to meet the demand? Because uh, there's estimates that we're still several million units short in this country. And, uh, you know, but there's many times in local markets, regulatory issues that prevent easy uh, access to build. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there's there's concern about, um, uh, you know, expansion of, of uh, trying to overdevelop. So all these things thwart new construction to meet demand. And with people still not being able to easily afford another mortgage uh, has thwarted it. So uh, we'd love to see more uh, efforts. Uh, and we've been working with the federal government on this and different uh, agencies. How do you get maybe more investment in converting unused commercial properties, maybe converting those to maybe housing projects and things like that? Uh, uh, I've seen it in some areas where malls, that used to have shopping are no longer, but they're looking at how do you convert this into housing in such a way that creates uh, more opportunities for investment in that area. So there's a lot of things that can be done. There's just not quick, you know, let's fix the problem tomorrow. No, there, there's no, there's no quick fixes. I mean, we spent years at, at housing wire saying that new home construction can't, can't save us from an inventory issue. The velocity that which um, builders can bring homes to market is just too slow to solve an immediate problem. However, they, it is the only way to solve a long-term problem. So even though it's not fast, it it, it has to has to happen. But I want to kind of come back to existing supply for a minute before we move into new home construction and talk about some of this these commercial repurpose ideas. Um, you brought up the topic of this this mortgage rate lockdown theory, which at housing. Our, our own team can't agree on. Logan Motoshami, our lead analyst, has his views that lockdown is not a theory that's ever really proven out in the data and that people, uh, I think in Logan's words, is they they date, they mate, they get married and they they buy houses and like life life happens and like houses are, are, are going to get get bought and people aren't going to be locked in on a mortgage rate. We have other folks in our organization who, who just don't see it that way and think those two and a half percent rates are going to be really hard for someone to shake, even if like life circumstances determine that they need a an extra room or a, a bigger house or a different school district. How are you thinking about that that mortgage rate lockdown theory? Well, you know, 
we we can all have our uh, you know economists have their theories and analysts have their theories, and then I go back to and this is you know Bob Goldberg personal opinion of just pragmatic in life. You know, I look at it and I say, you know, I I, I was telling people the story. Literally, this is no exaggeration. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had my annual physical. Knock on wood, I'm still here. Uh, and I was talking to my doctor and he was, you know, he's fascinated about, you know, what work I do. And we got into talking about housing and he was talking about he and his wife want to move to a bigger home. And I'm thinking, well, I'm certainly contributing to helping you as your patient. <laughs> you know, his comment to me was my wife wants to get a bigger house with this, this and this. And I don't want to move because I have a 3% interest rate. I'm not giving that up. I mean, just in a practical conversation. And I said, well, yeah. And I said, well, what are you going to end up doing? He goes, well, unless I can accumulate enough cash to make it so that the mortgage rate is not an issue, because people get caught up in that, that rate. This is what I'm paying today. So caught up. But then like the businessman inside of me says, if you can't figure out a better way to like put that cash to work, then that's a whole different issue. But then like trying to save two points on a mortgage interest rate. Yeah. I mean, so the practical side is we all face that today. You know, I look at my own kids um, who have, you know, fortunately were able to have mom and dad help them out a bit, you know, when they went to buy their their first home. Um, most people don't have that luxury and, uh, and right off everything was here is what I can afford. And these interest rates scare me. And in fact, um, you know, and there's nothing for me to buy that's affordable. So you put all those together. I mean, just practically, uh, you can have all the analysts in the world talk about, well, the people still want to buy a house and all that. And yeah, that's true. Um, and the thing that is helping housing, I will tell you in all candor, is uh, that rental rates have gone through the roof. Um, and that has been something that I think is, you know, the, the, the typical rent versus buy conversation. Uh, makes it, yeah, it makes it really a good discussion uh, now to uh, talk about, yeah, it's a great time to buy if you could find something that's affordable. But with the appreciation rates, with the limited supply, have also created that problem. So I, I think that, you know, I, I fall on the side of everybody lives their life. Yes, they'd love to have their own piece of the pie. Uh, but you, there's so many other factors today, Clayton, that, you know, all of us, when we deal with even our own employees, you know, when COVID happened, you had some people that made decisions to say, I'm going to, I want to be mobile. So I don't get locked into any one area because, I, you know, I may be working for an employer that allows remote work. So I want to go work over here. Um, all of those dynamics go into this big bowl and you shake it up. And I don't think any of the past analytics hold the way they do today because I don't think anyone knows the right answer on that. Uh, it has so changed all the dynamics. So, you know, I always press Lawrence, uh, again, one of the top economists in the world, to say, Lawrence, tell me exactly what's going to happen. And he chuckles and smiles. And, uh, you know, other than maybe a weatherman, uh, economists get the luxury of not always being right. And uh, uh, I trust Lawrence more than I do anybody because he's been pretty spot on. You know, when we look at employment trends and we look at uh, job creation and we look at housing creation and all that. And still, I think the effects of the pandemic and COVID and how employers are responding with remote work has changed a lot of those dynamics too. Yeah, Lawrence better be good. He's the uh, you know rep representing the National Association of Realtors. He's got everybody listening from Housing Wire and Real Trends to to Bloomberg to every consumer across the country. He comes with credibility. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so talked a little bit about the housing market. Let's talk about the impact of this environment on your membership. So we talked about low inventory. 
low inventory and active listings is what's available on the market today. Homes are moving faster. So transactions are, are happening. We're not, we're not seeing the volume that we saw in 2021 and the beginning of 2022 in our low rate environment. We are seeing some, some volume. So how is this market impacting your membership and how are they, you know, zigging and zagging to, to, to change their models or adapt to the market we operate in today? Well, the one thing I've learned about our members, uh, they're extremely, extremely, extremely resilient. Um, you know, we have, uh, like I said, 1.5 plus million members. Uh, but we are expecting that number to trend downward uh, because, uh, you know, we have enough of a history to know over 30 plus years, 40 years, that uh, depending on where home sales are, what the membership will typically do. And with uh, the volume of sales being down in terms of true unit transactions, uh, we'll see an impact uh, on our membership. So as I said, now we're just north of uh, 1.5 million. Uh, I think we may see it get down to maybe the uh, 1.4, maybe the upper 1.3 millions in the next uh, uh, year and a half or two years. Uh, we've, uh, anticipated that we've budgeted accordingly for that uh that that uh, drop uh but it's not going to fall off the cliff uh on this uh you know some 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 negative uh, uh folks you know in the past said oh when the pandemic was get hit membership's going to fall um and by the way i thought maybe it would fall you know in the middle of the pandemic it went up <laughs> You know, and uh, it went up from, you know, one four to almost 1.6 million. Now, was that was that um, folks that were, you know, out of a job or in a forced career transition and sought to evaluate a career in real estate or uh, people looking for like that, that, uh, you know, that second career like side hustle? Like, we're, we're, why do you think the pandemic propelled a little membership growth? So my answer is yes and yes. Okay. Uh, we have seen sometimes when unemployment in general goes up. Our membership will go up uh, short term because it may be a transition to this as a career um, or the normal. Well, real estate's easy. I'll just go ahead and get my license and join. And then they realize it's not as easy as they thought. Uh, so I th and I think when the pandemic hit, everybody thought everything in the economy was going to just fall apart uh, during the middle of the pandemic. I think we all saw housing sales went way up, you know. Um, everything accelerated. Our membership went up, sales went up, et cetera. But now that we're in that moderated period, as I had mentioned before, um, I, we, we think it will edge down because our trends have always shown that. Uh, so like I said, we've seen some uh, slight decreases, and I think that will continue over the next uh, year, year and a half. But I think then as real estate picks up again and gets into that normal range uh, with inventory and uh, uh, sales, I think that we'll see membership edge back up again, maybe not to the 1.6 level, uh, but I think it'll stay in that, you know, 1450 to 1.5 billion range over the next two years. Yeah. So one of my, we just had our gathering of Eagles event in, in June, um, which attracts some of the top broker owners in the country. And one of my favorite comments from an onstage conversation was real estate has the, the lowest bar and lowest barrier to entry, but the highest barrier to success. And that the, the delta between starting a career in real estate and really winning is really large. And there was a stat in the, the NAR member profile, the report that just came out that I thought kind of reiterated that. And one of the stats was that the top one and a half percent of real estate agents last year accounted for 65% of sales in America. If you go up to the top 2%, you're at 75% of sales and you go to the top 10%, you're at 90% of sales. So a very small number of the top real estate professionals in the country do a majority of the transactions. I mean, this just blows the 80-20 rule out, out of the water. So is that a trend that you see? Um, what's propelling that trend? I, I have my ideas, but like, tell me about what you think propels that trend. Yeah, you know, I think it's like anything in uh, in in you know society today with just transition of how business works uh, as well. 
Um, you, you, you know, you mentioned the 80-20 rule. Um, yeah, I mean, there, those, there are very strong top producers that do very well. There's very strong brokerages that do very well. Uh, but, you know, I think the proliferation of teams have changed a lot of what goes on today. I mean, there are some teams today that are bigger than brokerages um, and continue to grow. Um, and then just the nature of the business itself. You know, there's many different types of players that are in our business, which is wonderful. I, I will tell you, uh, you know, as the CEO of NAR and our leaders, uh, th- th- there are many different business models uh, that many of these folks bring to the table. And that's wonderful because it gives consumers more choices to pick what they think is best. But I think all of those together, uh, like I said, that proliferation of teams and mega teams um, has changed the nature by how this business uh, runs. And you're right. I mean, the barrier to entry, yeah, you have to be licensed. Yes, you must to be one of our members, abide by our code of ethics. Um, but at the same time, the sky is unlimited with opportunity. And between that and investment opportunity and the commercial real estate space, um, that's why we see so many members becoming so successful in this business. All right. So we talked a little bit about how membership may normalize, but on the topic of normalization, let's talk about back to the supply and demand topic. So you use the phrase normal supply. Um, I'd love to hear kind of how you, how you think of that and how you frame out what normal looks like in, in terms of different demographic trends or whatever might drive that, that ideal number. And you also mentioned days on market. And uh, we've done a lot of reporting on days on market trends. And I'm just really curious how you think of what what healthy is. So normalization of supply and healthy days on market. You know, and I think we all generally use those generic terms uh, in a way because I, it really is, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you the old cliche with real estate being, you know, location, 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 because it depends on the market. Uh Certain marketplaces, if you look at the top 50 MSAs in this country, they can be very different, you know, between the Northeast, the Southeast, the South and the West um, and, and the Midwest in terms of uh, what, what is happening. So normal, and I'm going to sound very much like an economist on this, depends on where you are. Um, some of those markets, like when they were the hottest a couple of years ago, uh, where, like we talked about, where you get multiple offers on a property in the first couple of days. I mean, you would hear stories, 10, 15, 20 contract offers, you know, in the first week. Uh, but in certain parts of the country, you didn't hear about that. And so uh, I think it is a market by market uh, uh, situation. If you look at, you know, I, I look at, uh, I own also own a condo in Chicago, uh, and I'll, my main home is here on the East Coast. Uh, but like in the Chicago marketplace, like in the condo market, uh, when the market was extremely hot, um, it wasn't super hot. Uh, you know, in Chicago, it would go up three, four, five percent. When it was when the market slowed, it slowed two, three, four percent in Chicago. It didn't go way down either. So there's some markets where you would say there's uh, more stability in that. And then in some of the areas like in the Northeast, uh, where you had high appreciation and sales, and then it really went down 15, 20%. Uh, so when I say what is normal, uh, I think it depends on where, you know, people that are listening to housing wire may be located because, uh, each one will have its own definition, you know, and I think a lot of it deals with employment trends or where people are moving, what companies are doing, uh, employment centers and all that. And all that has shifted, you know, and it's hard to say what normal is anymore because we have found that when there was the flight from the big cities during COVID and then that slowness of, uh, of, of employers, uh, you know, I would say allowing employees to come back. Many of the employees are was dictating, like, I, I am not coming back. You know, I'm going to be remote. And that has changed the nature of the housing demand, depending on where those housing centers are. So uh, I, don't, I don't think, Clayton, I can give you an answer of what normal means or normal days on market, because I think each marketplace has that own definition. And uh, 
Uh, and, and you take, you know, like we said, housing policy and housing rates, they all have an impact depending on where you live. I think this is the the point in the podcast where we do the obligatory notice that there is not really a national housing market. This is a uh, a combination of of hundreds of hundreds of MSAs, and it is a you know a tough part of like covering a national market and you representing a national membership base is that everybody has their own experiences in the in the markets that they live and do business in, which is one of the things that makes this market interesting. It is, and you know, it's the you know the proverbial you know as I said that real estate is local, and uh, what may be hot in one market uh, is not in another. So you know, when we bring our members together and we have these conversations, you know, we'll say people we'll we'll hear our members say, "Oh man, it is such a hot market, I can't keep up with it," and we'll have members in other areas saying, "Not at all what I'm experiencing in my marketplace," and. Uh, they are all very, very different, but I think even more so today than ever before. And uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch economists and historians look at how the pandemic has really impacted a lot of this. Uh, I don't think we've been able to really uncover all the dynamics that this has caused, because, like I said, you know, uh, I, I give, I'll give. Uh, uh, you know, just people that I know, you know, when the pandemic hit, people, you, we didn't know where they were located, you know, when everybody was working remote. And, you know, you see the battle now happening between employers and employees, uh, where some employers, you know, some of you, you see them, they're notable Fortune 50 companies saying, damn it, I'm going to require every employee to be back in the office four days a week. And then you have employees rebelling saying, good luck. Yeah. And it's, and then like, that's the big company like issue. And then like the small company issue, like mine, I mean, we have employees and I got 17 state tax filings to file. Like that's brutal for, for small organizations. It is. And, uh, you know, we did, we had the same thing over COVID. We had employees that were in different places. And then, uh, uh, you know, we've asked our employees that if they're, you know, if they're in the DC and Chicago area where our two headquarters are, that they need to be, you know, back in the office, with some remote flexibility on these things. Uh, but uh, I've seen, you know, I just read an article, uh, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days, Jamie Diamond, <laughs> Jamie Diamond basically said, you know, remote work isn't for us. And if you want to be remote, then find another place to work. Uh, so that battle between employers and employees, but that has impact on housing centers and where people are. And people decided, you know, if I don't have to be in my corporate headquarters, I'm going to go live in a lower cost area where, I, where I'm going to ultimately retire. And uh, that has changed those dynamics quite a bit uh, from those urban centers. So when you talk to realtors in urban centers, they may tell you, you know, it's still ha- like New York. Yes, it's gotten better than what it was, but it's not anywhere where it used to be. But then I'm hearing those other stories where people are saying, well, now I can afford to live in New York City because some of the housing costs have come down. So I don't know where the shakeout's going to be, but whoever writes the ultimate book on this is going to get very wealthy. These rapidly changing local markets is one of the reasons that we invested in an Altos research where we're bringing local zip code level data to, to agents, uh, title professionals, loan originators, so they can be informed on what's happening, not just in their, their state or county, but down to the zip code level where a lot of this movement is happening. Yeah. Well, you know, and it makes sense, Clayton, because if you think about even in the world of politics, you know, uh, in political elections, they've got it down to the zip code and polling place as to impacts of how voters will decide an election. Even on a national basis, they can use zip code level information to say, this is how these precincts are going to end up voting. Well, same thing in the uh, in the demographics and the buying patterns of housing in each of those zip codes. Um I think that's where the data is going to really be invaluable because that'll help decide, you know, where can builders uh, build? Uh, where where are regulatory impediments uh, keeping people from building? You know, I just talked to my counterpart 
Um, uh, the, the, the recently retired CEO for the National Association of Home Builders, Jerry Howard, who's been there for years. And Jerry and I were talking uh, at his retirement party just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, he, he his comment to me was, you know, with all the building regulations that are going on around the country, we can't, depending on where uh, a, a particular zip code is, builders can't afford when they do build because of all the regulatory and extra costs, they can't afford to build affordable housing. So, so, you know, so they were looking at the same thing, which is where can home builders start to focus in? Cause you mentioned it earlier in this, uh, in this podcast that uh, just suddenly changing some of those things is not going to increase inventory immediately to solve the problem, but understanding the data at that local level, uh, and the data at the zip code level is probably more imperative today than it ever has been. Yeah. I mean, yeah, building in the wrong market, not only a bad business strategy, but also one that doesn't solve the issues that we face as, as leaders in the housing economy. So, so Bob, I know there's a lot of strategic initiatives and areas you're focused on. Uh, and as you look forward to the next 18 months and I'll remind everybody, you have, you have 18 more months at the National Association of Realtors. This, is, this retirement is not official in 2023. You have, you have until the end of 2024 to get some serious things done. Where are you focusing your energy? What's most important to you that as you, as you look to, you know, put a capstone on this incredible career leading the National Association of Realtors, where does your energy go? Well, you know, it's it's still focused on the areas that I felt were important when I took this job, you know, nearly seven years ago. And, uh, you know, certainly technology has got to be a leading uh, play for us as an association, as for us as an industry, uh, because, uh, you know, technology doesn't slow down. Uh, when the uh, Industrial Revolution happened, you know, uh, back in the 1800s, it always is happening and we need to lead the way, you know, and I, I always say and my predecessor CEO, Dale Stinton used to say this, you know, if not us, who, you know, who is going to be the one that, that leads that. So, you know, my focus over the next 18 months is to continue the initiatives that we started a couple of years ago. Uh, that is uh, continuing to look at those technologies that will impact and influence consumers and also our members and our industry. Uh, you know, we created this uh, venture a couple of years ago that I used to lead before I became CEO, and I still lead Second Century Ventures in our uh, REACH Accelerator programs. Um, those are really continuing to go out and find those companies that are upstarts, that are creating ways that the industry are going to change. We, we invite that. You know, back in 2017, I remember giving my first speech, you know, at Leadership Summit, and I was setting the course of what I want to accomplish uh, in the technology sector, because technology is going to happen with or without us. And so I felt like then, as I do today, that we as an association, being the largest trade association in the world, need to keep that tent open where you know, there may be technologies that none of us may like or we might find as a threat, but they're always going to be there. You can't sit there and find ways to thwart them. What you got to do is find ways to embrace them. And so you got to find ways to say, look, you can play the game of we're fearful of disintermediation, or you can play the game of invite folks into the tent and find ways to help make it work so that it betters consumers and it betters our members. So the next 18 months for me will be down that same path. Find those players that can make change happen for the better of our industry, for the better of consumers, because in the end, it's going to happen with or without us. So I want to be the catalyst that says, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of things that we that may scare us. But all industries need to be scared. That's what makes you better. And so uh, so I think there's a lot to accomplish there. I think there's a lot to accomplish in the initiatives that I felt were important as one of the key strategic pillars when I came in 17, and that's diversity, equity, and inclusion in this industry. Um, I, I made that one of my core plays in 17. 
And I'm proud to say that we continue to do great things in that area. Uh, in our industry, uh, we have a diversity committee that our leadership has embraced. I love what they're doing on this. Um, and at the same time, we've done the same thing here at NAR on my staff. You know, if you're going to talk about it, you got to walk the talk. So, uh, so that commitment uh, to continuing to make sure that, you know, the people that we're bringing in as leaders in this business are people that always look like you or me, that they uh, have different backgrounds, different perspectives, look differently, act differently, have different sexual identities. It doesn't matter because we need to lead the way uh, in real estate because those are the clients that we serve. And we need to be in the forefront of that. So uh, the next next 18 months, I have uh, maybe as I look at that window closing each month, uh, I put the accelerator down faster to do more things as opposed to trying to slow it down. I, I love that mentality, like get, the, the get it done, ex- accelerate into change. Bob, I, I want to wrap with you know, kind of one relatively kind of selfish question, but out of um, uh, out of support for the realtor ecosystem at HousingWire, Realtrends and, and Altos, we, we do serve a lot of real estate professionals and realtors that are members of the organization. As a media and information company, is there anything that my eyes should be on, anything that I should be doing to, to help support? the real estate profession with information and, and knowledge? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think always being, you know, as I said, open and transparent of the issues that are facing this industry. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always, you know, I err on the side of what will help make our members successful. But success is measured by how well they serve consumers. You know, this is all about the... Uh, consumer play. And so I think companies like yourself uh, that uh, are open and transparent and, you know, look, not all news is great news, you know, uh, you know, and I am not a uh, believer, nor is my leadership that everything has to be with rose colored glasses. Uh, You have to tell it like it is so that people know what the reality is. So I think the focus on you know, holding everybody's feet to the fire to move the industry forward in a positive fashion is what needs to happen. Um, But keeping the consumer front and center, consumer will always win. And, uh, you know, you've seen it in other professions. Uh, You know, you look look at what happened to the travel industry, the travel agents. They tried to get very parochial and protective. And when you get protective, you become obsolete. And you have to be the ones that say, if not us, who? Well, you know what? If if disintermediation is going to happen, work on doing it yourself and position yourself and your members to be winners in this thing. So, you know, one of the things I think is one of the most crowning achievements when I look back at my career, when I came in as CEO, uh, is that we created an entity called SBIT, our Strategic Business Innovation and Technology Area. And what I wanted to do there is I still believe today that we still need to do is talk to all those players that everyone's fearful of. You know, what the hell is Amazon doing? What is Netflix doing? What's Google doing? What's Facebook doing? Oh, my God, they're going to replace us. Well, you know what? Then we better be in the forefront of having conversations with every one of those companies and talking about, you know what? We're a big dog, too. You know, we're very influential. How do we all work together to advance it, to make it better? And yeah, it will change. So, you know what? Holding everyone's feet to the fire to say, you know, when I get asked the question, Clayton, of what are you going to do about this company and what they're trying to change? Wonderful. Bring it on. Because we got to figure a way on how to adapt to it. Adaptability is the key or you become obsolescent. And, and, and if you don't sit there and hit it head on. So I, my biggest thing is, is I want folks like yourself to say, here's the things that are changing this industry. And you know what, NAR, you're the big dog, as you say, with a lot of members. Um, what are you going to do about it? And I always want to remind people of the 1.5 million members that we have that serve every zip code in this country, that they're really basically all mom and pop independent little companies. 
And so it's our job to work with them to help make them successful with consumers. And so trying to thwart and keep things away is not the answer. The answer is embrace technology. And yeah, it's going to change. And whoever succeeds me is going to have the same opportunity to say, wow, look how different it is today than when Bob Goldberg was CEO. And I'm going to say, look at how it's different today than when Dale Stinton and Terry McDermott were CEOs. Uh, That's the challenge that we have, but that's the opportunity. And uh, we better make sure we have people that embrace those changes and can help adapt this industry. Because like I said, consumers will lead the way. So we got to be there for them. All right. Housing news. Listeners, I am on today. I want to bring you a little special segment that I'm recording with Brenda Nath, our director of events at HW Media. Brenda, welcome to Housing News. Oh, I'm excited to be here and talk about this. So we are here to talk about Housing Wire Annual, a really special event that we actually launched like during COVID as a virtual event. And the last three years have brought it to the main stage as an in-person event meant to bring together executives and leaders across the housing finance, mortgage, and real estate sector. Brenna, does that sound about right to you? That sounds about right. Um, I know we've used the tagline, all things housing over the years, and it just continues to stay true as we bring together um, leaders that we connect with throughout the year into one space to connect, to strategize, to, and I know it's, I mean, we've been using this word a lot, but it's almost like I'd like to create authentic moments is my new word of choice to describe these impactful moments, like authentic moments that you can take back with you. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, one reason we're recording this segment, Brenna, is I think we've heard some questions in the industry of like, who's this event for? What What's it about? What are the goals? What do I get out of it? And I want to bring some of that information to light for our audience. And like, I want to start with the fact sharing that Housing Wire Annual is Housing Wire's mortgage finance event. And we invite leaders from across the housing ecosystem. So we want leaders from mortgage origination and servicing and capital markets, but we also bring in leaders from real estate who are partnering with mortgage lenders to finance the sale of homes or potentially even leading their own JVs or affiliate agreements inside of their real estate brokerages, as well as title valuation and technology partners who are enabling an effective and efficient mortgage ecosystem. So like this is our mortgage event, the content, the sessions, they are built around mortgage finance and the housing market information that leaders need to make decisions in their businesses. I'm just jumping off of probably this is a great time for this, uh, our chat, because I think I got off 10 plus planning calls this week already. Um, and two things that continuously came up on these conversations is wanting to know what everyone else is doing to make sure that, you know, getting a pulse on the industry uh, from whether how they're using technology, how are they diving into their partnerships? How are they partnering with home builders? How are they getting in the door with real estate agents? There's a lot of um, discussions on those things. And then we're bringing those people together. So as, you know, Clayton just said, I'll I created a long bullet point list here. I'll only name a few of them, but you have people like Frank Martel, CEO of Lone Depot, Amory Wooden, who's the CMO of Anywhere Brands, Baron Silverstein, the president over at New Res, uh, the CEO at Thrive Mortgage, and I'm, now I'll just go to names. So CEO Princeton, CMO of CoreLogic, CSO of New FM Lending, just really good names that are going to be able to address those burning questions. Yeah. And so this isn't an event where we get on stage and, and talk about the problems. It's an event where we get on stage and talk about the tactics and strategies that are working. Our speakers are tasked and guided and coached to bring their true expertise to the stage and give us a glimpse into what is working and in some scenarios, what is not working in their businesses. So we have a full expectation that the folks that invest their time and money to attend Housing Wire Annual, which is on October 10th through 12th in Austin, Texas, that they leave the event not just with a few ideas. I've heard that like phrase a hundred times. We just want you to leave with one actionable idea. Now, 
We want you to leave with a viewpoint of how you formulate your strategy to make your mortgage origination business more successful, to make your servicing operations more efficient, and to help access liquidity through your capital market solutions. And if you're a real estate professional, we want you to understand how creative, effective mortgage partnerships or business lines will help your agents and partners sell more homes. And uh, that's what this is all about. If the mortgage industry, if the real estate industry operates as efficiently as possible, we will help put more consumers in homes and we will get through this market that has just been kind of starved for inventory and, and, and kind of got a whiplash from incredibly fast changes in the rate environment. And we're not going to go on stage and just talk about those challenging dynamics. We're going to bring solutions and share with you what the leaders are actually doing to win market share. And Brenna, I, I have a feeling the topic of market share has come up on more than a few of your pre-calls as you've worked with our speakers to get ready for this incredible event. We have you know, the top purchase originator coming to the event. And a theme with him and a couple others is um, we use the word growth a lot, but uh, it's almost there is a market share out there to take. And if you go out there and look for the business, it's there. There's a reason that it's a mindset. It's how they're structuring their day. It's how they're building their strategy that's creating this almost winning battlefield mindset for growth. And that's what I'm continuously hearing across the board from the leaders that we're talking to. Yeah, so we're bringing mindset into professional content. It's not going to be the raw, raw mindset stuff, but it is going to be where lender, lending leaders and real estate leaders need to focus their energy and you know put on the blinders to focus on uh, on what's necessary for success instead of stressing about what's going wrong and and where you're seeing headwinds. On top of that, so this is the content, Brenna. We talked about the yeah. content a lot so far. Let's talk about community. Who do you expect to see at this event, and what do they get out of being at Housing Wire Annual? The wording I've been using is your your rising star and higher and the people who aspire to like be and have those titles. So, you know, the marketing leaders, the finance leaders, the women of influence in the space, the vanguards, all of those who are, you know, coming together into one room. And then the action item, I know Clayton just said we uh everyone's talking about that one action item, but something I would say that a lot of these leaders are talking about is when you're in the room with each other, it's actually connecting with them connecting with them on LinkedIn, creating a game plan when you go to these events and saying, these are the five leaders that I want to connect with because we're creating this space for you. And then it's on you to take all the names that are in there and say, this is how I'm going to build um, connections and relationships from here. So that's kind of the people we're going for along with you know a lot of the team members of these leaders at the event. Can I share with you a little story? So I was, um, I was at Neil Dingra's forward event recently in Las Vegas. And I was speaking with Arjun Dingra, um, Neil, Neil's brother, and like, they do some incredible content and some like, just like building really great origination businesses. And Arjun was talking about the difference between forward and what we do at HWA. And I loved what he said about HWA. So this is the event that your boss attends. Like if you want to spend time with the CEO of your mortgage origination business, if you want to better understand the rest of the loan ecosystem outside of like what happens after a loan's originated, like this is the place to be. That's what I'm building for, Brenna. I want this to be the event where the CEOs of independent mortgage banks and the leaders of mortgage businesses inside of depositories and the leaders of secondary and servicing desks come to build business strategies, build partnerships and help the industry build a more efficient mortgage ecosystem. Last year has been tough. We are all going to get better and we're going to get better together. I'm personally excited about spending time with the leaders that are actually gaining market share. Like I ain't got time to spend time with the um, the folks that are uh, washing out and not going to win in this market. Like we are inviting the people who are going to win. So real quick, that's why we're bringing this little segment to you, our housing news audience. We've done audience analytics and the folks that listen to the show, we know who the listeners are and you're the executives, you're the leaders that lead the housing market forward. So we want you to join us at Housing Wire Annual this year, October 10th through 12th in Austin, Texas at the Hyatt Lost Pines Resort. So Clayton and I were chatting right before we jumped on this. And as he just said, we did the analytics, we ran the numbers and really the, the housing news 
audience and the engaged listeners that we have here, you guys, we wanted to do something special for. So I asked Clayton if he'd be open to receiving as many DMs as possible. He has some special discount pricing for you guys. So feel free to reach out to him. I'm on Instagram at housing Clayton. If you DM me and you want to attend HWA, we will send you a special podcast promo code to join us. Or you can send me a message on LinkedIn, Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media. I think most of you know where to find me. And we're going to do some special stuff at this event. And I want you to be part of it, our housing news audience. Now, I know we covered a lot of information here. If you want to dig in deeper to how to register, who are the other speakers, what are the networking opportunities that we built, um, Pickleball is one of those. You can go to housingwireannual.com. Um, It will give you all the information there. And then once again, it's just from October the 10th through the 12th in Austin, Texas at the Hyatt Lost Pine. So reserve your spot now. And also just thank you, Clayton, for letting me come on here and talk about it. Thank you so much for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please take a few seconds to rate Housing News on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot for the show, and we really do appreciate and listen to your feedback. Also, we're gearing up for Housing Wire Annual in October. Please visit housingwire.com forward slash events for full details about our big annual event in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm.